www.thepeopleshow.org. Hey, uh, tonight we have a really cool thing. You want to live in this lousy world? Play it cool. Wanna get even? Get cool. I want to bust, bust cool. I want to go, go cool. I know I'm, I'm from New York, born and raised in New York, but um, Pizza Hut has always kind of been there for, for me. You know that, honey. I still order Pizza Hut. I love it. It's hard to find in the city, but I find it. And uh, I love it so much. And this is a, a, a cool thing. Play it cool, boy. Real cool. Actually, Pizza Hut is where I used to go with my parents when we had, like, good nights out. Like, if I was... With, I, I was celebrating something like that. Even I would say like graduation or something. It was a major deal to go out to dinner at Pizza Hut. Me and my sister would have a booth. My mom always wanted a booth. Do you have any booths? I only want to eat in a booth. Okay. Yeah. I'm not even hungry. Well, a booth open. Okay, we'll take it. And they would sit. And then we'd go play Pac-Man. Who's just, uh, anyways, Pizza Hut is doing this cool thing. Cool it, A-Rob. Cool it, cool it. <laughs> Because, uh, you know what? They love the graduates, and I love the graduates of 2020. And man, you got a raw deal this year. Uh, no real graduation for you guys, and no real prom. And Pizza Hut wanted to, uh, well, I don't know, wanted to make it a little bit cooler for you. Just play it cool, boy. Real cool. So guess what? They're giving out 500,000 pizzas to graduates of 2020 and their families. 500,000 pizzas. So if you want, go to pizzahut.com forward slash grad party, and they're going to use the contactless curbside pickup for this. So thank you to uh, America's Dairy Farmers and uh, for Pizza Hut for doing this cool thing. And congratulations, class of 2020. Uh, You know we love you. Uh, That's pretty, pretty cool. Oh, you know what? I forgot to do this. Well, pretend you didn't hear that. Hey, guys. It's Jimmy Fallon talking to you. This is for the graduates, so if you're not a graduate of 2020, please leave the room. Graduates, this is a tough one. Uh, You deserve everything. And you know what? Pizza is there for you. They want you to have everything. If you go to pizza.com forward slash grad party, they're going to give... Well, they're not going to give you, but they're going to give in total 500,000 pizzas to you guys to have a little party because you deserve it. Thank you, Pizza Hut, and thank you, graduates of 2020. Thank you so much. Thank you. There we go. This feeling of um, embarrassment, this. Um, shyness, this bashfulness. If you take that out of the people, then these people will do whatever they want to do. And that is the very definition of America. A people who have no shame, and therefore they do whatever they want to do. Why should I live in history, huh? I don't want to know anything anymore. This is a world where nothing is solved. And someone once told me time is a flat circle. Everything we've ever done or will do, we're gonna do over and over and over again. And again. And again. Forever. And you know what? Pizza is there for you. 
They want you to have everything. Race to the bottom. Time is a flat circle. Your internet radio dial is in the perfect position, and Race to the Bottom is on the air. Time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing Winslow tea. Try it hot, lukewarm, or over ice. Have it with milk and sugar, or a lemon wedge, or oh natural. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's Winslow tea. A New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer. Because that's how you know it's Winslow. Newsflash, it's Race to the Bottom, and that's bottom with a B. booth in rainy it is raining out there cold bushwick brooklyn i'm john reed you're listening to radio free brooklyn and this is race to the bottom baby yeah and i am tired school year's wrapping up i'm a teacher i'm a middle school english teacher Did you know that? Did you know that? And there's a, there's an exhaustion that sets in at this time of the year. And it's got me. It's got me in its clutches. So I'm going to try to just keep it real with you guys today. Do a real show. I was listening. I watched this thing. You know, Vox. The, 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 um website Vox. They do a explained, the news explained, but they have this the Vox, I could take it or leave it sometimes as far as the articles, but they have this thing uh, on YouTube, Earworm, and no, it's not like an actual earworm. My wife thought it was actual like a uh, parasite. No, ear, an earworm is a song that gets stuck in your head. They have this thing, uh, this series Vox Earworm, where they, it's a music it's a music thing. Come on. And uh, I was watching, it's back. And I was watching the most recent one last night about Quiet Storm Radio. 
I'm gonna get some quiet storm vibes up in here. That was the uh, started in the in the mid seventies. R and B, like from seven to midnight. You're listening to the Quiet Storm. Up next, Anita Baker. I want to get that kind of vibe going on today. I already had people write me about the mashup on the on texts and social media. They said, "What you're playing Jimmy Fallon on your show?" Because everybody knows I love Jimmy Fallon, but I had to play it because this was from this time last year, and it was cool. How many times did Jimmy say it was this the this promotion with Pizza Hut was cool? Did you count them? And I mashed that up with Play It Cool Boy, Real Cool from West Side Story. I'm reading Romeo and Juliet with my kids, my eighth graders. And man, next year I think I'm going to do a film study between West Side Story and Romeo and Juliet. Compare contrast. That'd be fun. We heard Time is a Flat Circle. The jam from True Detective Season 1. The show that started out so well and ended so poorly. We heard the uh, the synth the synth background the backing track from Here Comes the Sun. And that was the mashup. Notice I'm not making any new mashups. You know why? Because I'm tired. And maybe I put everything in. Everything's been mashed up. No, I have a few things. I have an ongoing list. I'm going to make a mashup. I got to just, I got to rest up so I can mash up. So last week, we had Rachel C. on, and I was, I started out the, show with a what in the crap and I was just going off about stuff and uh, I just want to finish up some thoughts real quick we've got America's comic John Field on today for our last installment of mayoral may man and the the shifting sands of this mayoral race are pretty crazy and we will uh we'll try to take stock I put on Twitter just a few minutes ago, trying to get John Field to retweet me to his 90,000 followers. No dice on that yet, John. But uh, it's because, you know why? Because I look like I'm a, I'm a schmo with 40 Twitter followers. That's my burner account. I, 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 uh, I thought I was making a big political stand. I used to have a real Twitter, okay, everybody? And I deleted it. Out of some misguided protest when I felt like it was our last president's personal website. So I said, I'm deleting my Twitter account. And now when I want to get cool people to retweet me, they won't do it. Because they say, that guy's been on Twitter since 2010 and he has 40 followers? Nah. Nah, dog. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Um... I posted on Twitter that we were going to, that I'm more, I'm kind of more confused now than I was when we started this thing about this mayoral race, but we'll, we'll try to figure it out with 
John Field in a few minutes. But I was talking about, um, look, I know people are getting vaccinated. People are, uh, things are getting better. The, the, the Madison Square Garden had like 170,000 people in it the other day. And, and they were vaccinated and having a great time. It's great. Have fun. But these jerks saying, oh, if you're vaccinated, why? if you don't want to wear your mask, fine. But these people who are like coming at, uh, at people who still aren't ready to unmask. If somebody walks up to me and, and, uh, and confronts me about wearing a mask, I don't know what I'm going to do. I wish I had a, a taser. No, that's, t- <laughs> that's too strong. But listen. My friend, friend of the show, I won't say who it is just because this is, this is HIPAA concerned, but a friend of the show, he can't, he can't get his, uh, vaccine yet. His doctor says he's not, uh, he's, he's recovering from surgery and he can't get his vaccine. If one of you jerks who, who says, oh, I'm vaccinated, I'm not wearing a mask. If, if, if one of you jerks gets my friend sick, you're going down. Get the whole race to the bottom community to take you down. Okay? Okay. And then, and then uh, last week I went off on these uh, Twitter socialists and uh, who, who like um, don't believe in race. And uh, like it's it's just class, but you know what? I I realized, I realized that that those people are acting in completely good faith. So I'll leave them alone. These these people who uh, talk talk smack about Black Lives Matter protests all year, and then somehow support or like worrying about the civil liberties of the. January 6th mob. Yeah, they're, they're just... They're just for civil liberties, man. Free speech. Had the... Uh, commission shut down. That's fine. It was duplicative. Didn't even know that was a word. Did you guys know that duplicative was a word? I didn't. But you know what? Sometimes things just don't fit into your narrative. And I'm kind of serious about this one. People have these worldviews. The way that they they feel comfortable looking out at the world. You might feel like race doesn't exist and it's all about class. And that's how you like to see the world. You might think, uh, you know, if you have the right... Uh, supplements and enough vitamin D, then COVID isn't real. That's your narrative. Go for it. Just don't get my friends sick. But I do understand it because you know why? You, you hear this? <laughs> and friend of the show, Tom Demena talked about this a while ago. And it, and it keeps popping up. Um, this UFO stuff. Supposedly UFOs are real. Guys, that doesn't fit fit into my narrative. So I'm not really reading 
any of those articles. Because I can't, I'm serious. I can't, uh, I can't live in a world where UFOs are real. It doesn't uh, compute for me. So I'm going to um, just act like uh, too long didn't read on that one. So let's, we'll talk to uh, John Field about narratives and all that good stuff. Um, and bring him in in just a minute here. Try to start this uh, start this thing here. See if, if John pops in. And um, if you want to call while while John and I are talking, you can do that. The phone number is seven one eight. What is it? It changed. Seven one eight six seven three eight two zero one. That's seven one eight six seven three eight two zero one. Well, we're waiting for John. I just wanted to play this one last thing. I'm just kind of getting getting some things off the table. Um, I th- thought maybe he had retweeted me. No. Oh man. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how um, when you watch a baseball show. Goes down. On ESPN, um, there's this weird sound that sounds like the clanging of bells. And um, I could tell it made me sound crazy. But I was saying how it's hard for me to watch things on C- on ESPN, like baseball games, because there's this big, like, detuned bell sound in the background. And thank God, this is a clip of of when LeBron did his flop and acted. He got hit in the eye and rolled around on the ground. Um, don't focus on on the announcer. I mean, you can focus on whatever you want. Wear, don't wear a mask. It's fine. But listen to the background, especially like halfway. This is like a twenty second clip. Like ten seconds in, listen for the detuned bells, and I'm going to prove I'm not crazy. John Green would not let him get a layup. And James goes down, holding his head. The officials discussing. And I think they're going to take a look at it to see if it's a flagrant. Okay, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> I couldn't hear it then. I think it's because these headphones are better. But if you watch that on your phone, you hear the detuned bell sounds. I promise. All right. I think John is here. Hold on. Let's let him in. Uh, John? Hello? Howdy. Hey. How's it going? How's it going? How's my audio on your end? Oh, it's it's brilliant. Crystal clear. Clear as a bell. I just want to make sure there's no echo or anything. Yes. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Besides uh, uh, political turmoil and shakeups this past week, but uh, for my own personal life, I've been doing more than fine. Good. Yeah. I so I was saying that uh, I you know this is the fifth consecutive mayoral May that we're doing on the show. I've never done yeah. anything this consistently on the show, and it's been yeah. interesting kind of tracking it through, but. I'm more confused now than I was when I started this five weeks ago. Um, yeah. Isn't that wild? This is, I don't know if this, 
I don't know if it's like every election is weird. I mean, I moved to New York in 2013, so I was barely paying attention to that election, but and that one had its shakeups, but I feel like this one has it's um uh it's not running out of hot drama at any point anytime soon and we're like still what uh it's on the 22nd, so we're less than 30 days away from uh D-Day. Yeah. So some of the the hot hot drama would be um well I guess let's let's just address the elephant in in the room to begin with. Both of us are were um, um, you know, I tried to maintain some objectivity, uh, you know, as the host of this show, but I was a big uh, Morales supporter from from the get go, and I'm yeah. just gonna I'm gonna take off I'm gonna unmask today, John. Yeah. I'm just gonna say what I actually think today because it's the last uh, week of May or May, and I'm just gonna let it all hang out. So, oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were both big Morales people, and then what? What happened? What can you summarize? What's been going on? Uh, I think a lot of what's going on is uh, not being said, but what can be seen from the outside is that five of her key staffers have uh, left her campaign in protest over. Um, uh, I think I'm going to get some of this wrong, but I think that's a reflection of the fact that there's such a uh, fog of war when it comes to what's being said by the campaign. But what I feel like is a strong, educated guess is there was somebody working in the campaign who the rest of the staff bristled with that Mm -hmm. Morales stood by and um, that led them to leaving the campaign and on the way out, the uh, um, the he- the uh, head campaign staffer said that all the kids should unionize, and they started unionizing as a result of that. And then, excuse me, from there it gets really weird. Where like I want to be supportive of these kids who are uh, unionizing, and also I don't think um, I saw a tweet the other day that said that. Um, uh, from uh, Ben Max of the Gotham Gazette, who said that there doesn't seem to be a lot of heroes in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids who are unionizing, while I like kids having, first of all, I like unionization and I like kids, you know, kind of fighting and self advocating for themselves, uh, their union seems very unfocused and um, they've made demands such as them being able to pick their next. Uh, head campaign staffer which is unique uh or that seems uh weird to me um i and then morales allegedly fired a couple of people who were trying to be unionized and it's weird i don't think i don't want to i don't want to be super defensive of morales here because i think Whatever happened, I think as a leader, she kind of her the people that she was in charge of kind of got away from her. And that doesn't really Mm -hmm. reflect well as a leader. But also I kind of see that Twittery collapsing of context stuff happening where somebody goes, um, one of the staffers goes, she needs to pay her staffers. And then a journalist reaches out for um uh, clarification of that and it turns out that statement while it seems like she was on she was not not paying her staffers uh, what it really meant was that they thought that they should pay termination fee to all the people who got fired mm-hmm. so I think um, and also 
you know, as somebody who's volunteer for Morales staff, um, the person I was kind of working under who was a paid employee uh, has mixed divided feelings about all of this. I think 10 steps away, I think it's just like a weird, confusing, messy thing. And if I was a little bit meaner than I want to be, I think a bunch of kids, I don't know, that seems very condescending, but I think, (laughs) and it is, I think that's one of the problems is, you know, something that's kind of problematic about the campaign that also drew me to the campaign in the first place is it attracted a lot of young people Mm -hmm. and something kind of uh, problematic about hiring a lot of young people is they don't know what a bad work environment yeah. is and they kind of don't know how to stand up for themselves or how to get leverage for themselves. And so like sometimes a really young work environment can be a very exploitative mm-hmm. work environment. And also I think I'm trying to avoid commentary I see elsewhere, which is like the left always eats itself. I'm like, well, no, this is a pretty unique, yeah, weird situation. I think, um, I well, think part of it is, and I'll end it with this is like, um, her campaign from the start, she didn't get the pick of the litter of campaign staff. I don't want to knock down the campaign staff that is there because there was a lot of talented people and they mm-hmm. got to a level way higher than they turned uh, chicken crap into chicken salad pretty easily. Uh-huh. But um, my feet on the ground was they didn't have a strong ground game. They weren't doing canvassing until door to door canvassing until this past mm-hmm. week, which is yeah ridiculous. And I think maybe that kind of led the campaign to implode on itself is they just kind of had um um the staff wasn't the staff infrastructure wasn't that strong yeah so from from an outside perspective there there was the uh new york magazine uh article kind of to to what you're saying about the left's implosion during this campaign uh which um you know while not totally fair um, political, uh, not totally fair in in a broader context. Politically, it is it is kind of interesting. We've got you know we had Stringer kind of leading the pack yeah. at the beginning, and and then he was hobbled by accusations that that uh, you know while um, a lot of people stand by, uh, there's just been more uh, scrutiny put on those, and and some people are kind of feeling like they jumped too quickly to to uh ask for him to exit the campaign then this morales uh situation which it seems like yeah it it was always a really extremely idealistic campaign in a in a good way and and as she has said she uh a lot of why she was there to kind of was to kind of push people to the to the left and push people to her positions almost like a, a bernie type thing um, and she was effective at that. Yeah. Like Maya Wiley would not be using the word defund if it wasn't for Morales. And um, like the last debate, you saw both Catherine Garcia and uh, Andrew Yang trying to um, uh, scrape uh, Morales voters. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she did have that effect. I'm sorry, uh, you were saying so, that. But um, it's, and yeah. then so that leaves Maya Wiley. And I'm just I'm interested as if there's going to be this late Maya Wiley surge, there's it there as far as the kind of media narrative around this campaign, it's, it, um, you know, Str- Stringer's kind of out of there. Uh, Morales seems, this seems like maybe somewhat of a death knell for her campaign, but 
Wiley hasn't gotten a bump. Uh, now, as far as the outside looking in, people are are holding up, and the polls show you've as a kind of a three way race between Yang Adams and Garcia, who kind of jumped onto the scene from it seems like from the New York Times, um, yeah, uh, you know, editorial pick of of her campaign, which is kind of wild because it usually feels like things like that don't matter but maybe because people were so confused they they just really hew to that um to that selection from the editorial board um it's kind of strange it is something i read uh like commentary i read i think it was uh jeff colton from new york city and state uh you saying that made me think of the fact that new york times uh their endorsement was unusually early uh, for that election cycle, like usually you would be getting the New York Times endorsement right about now or maybe like a couple of days uh, like this past week. Um, and I think one of the reasons why they did it so early was to boost her name recognition. Um, she I have a couple of thoughts on Garcia um, and that kind of boost she got in the polls recently. I think um, uh part of me feels split where like I could really easily believe that Garcia did kind of rocket in the polls like this. I think Mm -hmm. at the same time, it could also just be a statistical outlier because it was a weird super, I think she went up by like eight points within, you know, a couple of days, but also she is running a, at least a pretty steady campaign. And I think she does offer things that people do Mm -hmm. respond to and um, I could guess that maybe a lot of people were looking for somebody who's not Andrew Yang or Eric Adams, because I feel like that's mm-hmm. very common sentiment among more, uh, I think, people who would be, if it was a spectrum halfway between like Morales and mm-hmm. um, uh, Eric Adams. Uh, and also there was about, a, you know, this entire polls, there was always... A huge, the front runner this entire election has always been undecided. undecided yeah. I never heard of this guy. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and so I think maybe as that's getting filled in yeah. and also that big boost came right around the time when ads started being running and mm-hmm. Garcia, I think was the one who was, um, uh, who, uh, her, as far as I understand, I think her and Donovan were running ads the earliest. I don't know. That's just what I got mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't be I, mad if she wins mayor. Yeah. Um, as far as yeah. ads, I have not seen. Um. As far as TV, because I've been watching a bunch of um playoff basketball and and yeah. and baseball. Um. So as far as the sports advertise uh, advertising dollar, it's I've only seen Yang and Stringer. Um. Hmm. Uh, I have not seen an ad from anyone else on TV, um, but that's a small sample size. Um, Yeah, I feel like Garcia is almost the stand-in for Undecided now. She's the Undecided candidate, um, which, you know, and I think that that's why people were excited about Stringer from the get-go is that is because, you know, people want 
they're looking for competency. It feels like when you yeah. hear people talk, they want somebody progressive but competent. And Stringer was that. When, from my first survey of the candidates, I, I felt that way. And that was before the allegations. I felt like he was uh, kind of progressive but no nonsense. And then once he kind of got knocked out of the box, Garcia kind of fits that mold the, the yeah. closest. I think people like the idea of getting something done. And maybe if I were to, uh, I think adding horse race narratives sometimes can be problematic. But I mean, if I were to tell a story, I think in times of um, of chaos and uncertainty, somebody who it makes a whole bunch of sense to have somebody come in saying, like, I know how the system works. Mm -hmm. I you know, I know how uh, I can consolidate the city. She's um, everything's ideological, but she can kind of like hide. She can kind of hide behind this like technocratic. Yeah. Like, um, uh, I think this. I don't agree with this phrase, but like picking up the trash is not ideological. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. people can kind of get behind that. Um, but and it, yeah, the but an interesting thing that could cut both ways with with her kind of now being the the competent. Uh, you know, experienced candidate is that she's the she out of the eight um, main contenders, she's the only one who has c- continues to kind of embrace De Blasio, right? Um, mm. she, her, her kind of bona fides come from being De Blasio's fixer, right? And she yeah. hasn't really distanced herself. And people, uh, kind of across the spectrum, have been really disappointed with De Blasio. So yeah. I wonder if that could be kind of turned against her at some point. I mean, I think uh, I could imagine it already is. Like, I think. Uh, with like attacks during forums and stuff like that. Yeah. I stopped paying attention to the forums. Like, I don't know. Uh, after I saw my hundred thousandth <laughs> one, uh, and it's kind of weird where like, that's, it's like, that's where the, I mean, I'll see the story in like the Gotham Gazette or the, the, the city and state, but like the, um, uh, just kind of it, that's it's like wrestling where like you stop watching the weekly shows and you just start watching the pay-per-views so you don't know <laughs> you don't know why uh, Daniel Bryant's wrestling uh, Sheamus right now but you know it's, it's whatever um, I just got caught up with that metaphor and I forgot what I was talking <laughs> about um, yeah I can see like Garcia that's like an attack line I don't know like in I I kind of I I don't know if it's like it's something I'm a little sensitive to, but like um, my local city council election, it, the front runner is accused, is conflated as she, she used to work for our current unpopular city council representative. Mm-hmm. And that's used as an attack line. Like she's going to inherit the same traits that this former person did. And I see that accusation. Um, the DA person, uh, Alvin uh, Bragg or Alvin Blagg, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. Uh, uh, the fr- um, Alvin Bragg, uh, he is the uh, front runner, I believe, for the, I believe he's the front runner for the Manhattan DA race. Okay, yeah. And he used to work for so-and-so and people were yelling at him uh, for that. And I feel like that's a theme throughout the entire election. 
uh, guilt by association I, kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't like for me, I don't know if it's like, I, I couldn't tell you like what the pulse of the people is, but just like every time I hear like so-and-so worked for so-and-so I'm like, I've worked so many jobs in my life where like I worked for an absolute, like I've worked for, I've worked a temp job where the, my employers were the, um, lawyers for the Pinkerton, like wow. union busters. Nice. I didn't like that, but like, also like, I'm not like, I'm not adapting their ideology. That's such a weird internal <laughs> viewpoint. And for me, like just as a personal preference and I can't speak of how other people will view it, but like, um, I see the de Blasio administration as being this very big bureaucratic machine. Uh, and like, de Blasio's bad decisions are not like there's good people who work inside of his administration because mm-hmm. it's just such a big machine and New York City is such a big city that I think it attracts talented idealistic people who just are like yeah I'll, I want to I love the city and the city like the cults of the city like I think I think it's cool like people mm-hmm. love New York City a lot and staffers I talk to are either like burned out gray faced bureaucrats or like you know, I think that's, I'm just speaking for myself, but like, that's kind of what I see in the positives of Garcia. Mm-hmm. While I have major criticisms of her, she seems to does believe in New York City. And I think the fact that she was endorsed by uh, the, I think, sanitation union shows you that she was a good boss and people liked their former boss. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... Yeah, that's it. To to bring it back to Maya Wiley, you know, she Mm -hmm. also has a a background in the de Blasio administration, but she kind of got her um, political start by by saying, you know, I'm I'm out of here, right? Because she was part of the the review board of uh, um, civilian review board where they did the um, yeah they were looking at the police conduct during the protests, and she said basically, I can't. I can't do this, which, yeah. you know, might have been a, a, a political positioning situation. But, um, it, yeah, I think that's interesting. We, got, we have a phone call here. Oh, yes. Um, race to the bottom. Oh, hey, John. Hey, how's it going? Who's this? Good, good. You, this is Gary. You remember Gary? Uh, I don't remember Gary. Gary, you sound like you're uh, like across the room from your phone. Are you you on speaker like um, in the other room or what's going on with oh, that? Hold, hold up, hold up! I was working on a ceiling fan. Hold on, <laughs> working, working on. I'm glad you're uh, multitasking. I know it's a Saturday is, is, morning show can uh, you know people. You got stuff to is do. That, is that, but y'all y'all hear me now? Good. John, can you hear our caller? No, I cannot. I'm sorry about that. I don't know oh, that's through. that's the issue. Yeah. Um, so our, our caller, um, I guess I'm going to have to translate. Yes, uh, Gary, I can hear you. So this is Gary on the line. He was working on a ceiling fan. Um, oh, really? That's why he sounded so far away. Hmm. Um, what's going on, Gary? I, I'm going to just have to kind of try to translate to, to our guest, uh, comedian John Field. Hi. Well, I'm, America's well, comic. Okay, I'm America's not comic. Because um, I respect you. You used to bring me pizza down here in North Carolina. Um, I got a solution for y'all's uh, mayoral race. 
He's saying he's uh, so. John, I I used to work at this place, Pizza Cabin. Uh, I lived in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was oh really yeah, and I've had a music career and uh, to pay the pay rent basically. I worked for seven years at a little mom and pop pizza place, Pizza Cabin, and I delivered. Hmm. Gary saying I used to deliver pizzas to him. Um, I don't remember. I, he might need to give me more info on that, but he says he has a solution to our um, mayoral situation here. Well, really? Yeah. What? It, what's? Uh, Gary, can you remind me a little bit more about uh, how I might recall you from my pizza days, and then? Hit us with our your solution for us. I I I got two words on the pizza front. Mm-hmm. There, three words. Th- triple meat lover. Oh, okay. Triple meat lover. Uh, the meat monger is is what it was, though, right? If I, I get confused, pizza cabin is confusing with the national chain. Yeah, I get mixed up. Yeah, so uh, triple meat monger. Yes, you're the triple meat monger guy. Um, okay, me, baby. every Tuesday, right? Every Tuesday, because that's when the midweek WWE comes on. It does. Um, I I'm familiar with that. Okay, so triple meat monger. That's three words. Um, well, yeah. I maybe meat monger could be hyphenated. What's your solution to? Uh, our, our mayoral situation. Now, you're going to think I'm crazy. I don't think that. Hear me out. If you want competence and progressivism in one candidate, mm-hmm. y'all ought to start a write-in uh, campaign right now for former North Carolina Governor Jim Hunt. Jim Hunt, former North Carolina Governor Jim Hunt. You think we could write him in? I don't... You can write. I don't know how it works up there Mm -hmm. in New York City, but I tell you what, if you can make it happen, you want Jim Hunt, the education governor, to be your mayor. Jim Hunt, the education governor. Okay, I'll I'll look more into Jim Hunt. Uh, He's. um, (laughs) I don't know whether. I have to say. Has he moved to New York or would he come up to, you know, to serve? Well, he's in Greensboro. He's in Greensboro. And they've okay. got a they've got a good airport there. <laughs> okay. They've got a great airport. I heard about a mayor over in Stockton, California, actually mm-hmm. lived in New York City. Wow. Okay. Would would commute to Stockton, California. So I know Jim Hunt. Now he's eighty four years he's old. He's eighty four. And that might be a deal breaker for some people. It might be. But I'm telling you. He's up to the job. Okay. And are you in any way affiliated with Jim Hunt, uh, like the Jim Hunt campaign? I don't even know if he's still campaigning for anything, but just to put that on on the table. I am not uh, much like um, the Garcia staffers you were referring to earlier. I'm not formally associated with the campaign. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I do expect he and I met one time. Mm-hmm. He was doing a hundred county tour of North Carolina, and and we met at the at the old Asheville Speedway, which was the new Asheville Speedway, uh-huh. but it's not a speedway anymore. So we met at the Asheville Speedway, and I know that if he were governor, excuse me, if he were mayor, mm-hmm. 
he would he would give me a job, and I would be willing to relocate to Greensboro in order to make that happen. But not, but not North, not New York. He would go to Greensboro to, I guess that's where his office. I, this is very confusing. Well, somebody's got it. Somebody's got to maintain the district office. That's that's true. Right. Okay. Well, uh, Gary, um, I'll look into Jim Hunt. I don't. I it seems we, it. I know you're trying to help, but this is making things even more confusing. But I do appreciate you, the call. You said, you said competent progressive. Competent so progressive. Okay. Progressive well, alternative. I'll look into it, and and I thank you uh, for the for the call, good sir. All right. We'll we'll talk to y'all later. All right. Bye. John- I'm looking at photos of Jim Hunt right now, and <laughs> his haircut spans decades. That's ridiculous. I didn't know that was possible. That's ridiculous. He has the exact same part in the 1990s as he did in the 1970s. That's 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 what would qualify somebody to be mayor. I yeah. Think. Consist- yeah. Consistency. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how that would work. They, he's saying he would he would commute from Greensboro, North Carolina. This guy. Yeah. yeah. This, this guy. He he. Uh, the we had the meat monger instead of like a meat lovers and he would get a yeah, yeah. triple triple meat monger. It was more meat. We'd have to run it through the oven twice to, to cook all that meat. Um, but he he uh, was a loyal customer, in, and uh, I that's crazy that Gary listens to Race to the Bottom still because I did this show back back in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so if let's shift gears, we've got about ten minutes. Yeah. Um, and I we didn't get around to this last time, but the the uh, initial way that that I. Uh, became familiar with you was from the article you wrote in the Gotham Gazette or the kind of op-ed about yeah. trying to, as we're kind of rebuilding uh, New York and rebuilding the uh, our cultural uh, institutions to kind of build it from the ground up with a performer and worker focused thing instead of not just uh, focus on like shady club owners. Um yeah. You want to talk about, and then I know that you've continued to think about that, and and you're trying to do some organizing on that at America's Comic um, on Twitter dot com, um, yes. which I've been following. So what what do you um, what are I your thoughts? To start from like the top down, um, I moved to New York about oh god ten years ago. I mean the day of Hurricane Sandy, and wow. I've been doing comedy about. I was up in Inwood, so not even the hurricane goes up to Inwood, and. Um, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of it, I don't want to get into, I mean, you're, you do stand up, right? Like it's, it's, yeah. it's been like kind of a weird past 10 years for comedy. I think the arc of what happened kind of culturally was the recession happened and you got a bunch of college kids, millennials who, um, weren't getting the jobs that they were promised after college. So a lot of them moved to the city where rent was cheap. And a lot of them started pursuing creative outlets and stand-up comedy is the cheapest hobby you could ever have. And <laughs> that led to this like really large boom, comedy boom, where a lot of people were doing comedy, but there weren't a lot of opportunities really being doled out to people. Um, I was doing comedy and grinding way too much for about seven years when mm-hmm. I kind of caught it in the eye with um, one venue. Uh, to give a long story short, 
Uh, they were very friendly with white supremacist groups like the Proud Boys. Yes. Uh, I didn't like that. I was kind of loud and annoying about it, and it led to um, not a fun time for me. And I think it was a very jarring moment for me, and it kind of, I think, um, made me step 10 feet away and look at what uh, performing arts culture is as a whole in our city and how it operates and a couple of the bigger holes in it. And um, it kind of, I think all performing arts were told this meritocracy is like, if you just work hard and you believe in yourself and you're just good enough, the community will get behind you and then you'll be big. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not really how it works out. And I think, especially in the past seven years, um, it's really, if you have rich parents, that's what <laughs> predicts, that's the biggest predictor of whether you'll have success in comedy or not, or any kind of performing arts, like look up any yeah. actor and their parents have a, blue underline in the Wikipedia page and they went to Harvard and yeah, all this other stuff. They don't work at and, pizza cabin for seven years to try to um, support their career. And ultimately I think like nobody deserves a career in the uh, performing arts and all performing arts is this mix of like it's half profession, half labor and half hobby and half form of expression And I kind of think that there are opportunities. It's kind of weird that all performers and especially standups, it's very political, but we don't really look at ourselves as political entities or especially, you know, as laborers, laborers are political entities. And a lot of people make money off of us, but we never really see that money. So I was thinking, I don't have the full answers yet. I have Mm -hmm. a light organizing background that is littered with incompetency. So I'm just kind of wandering (laughs) around and um, grasping at what I can do and just starting as many conversations with people to see if like, I kind of ideally want somebody smarter than me to kind of take uh, the torch and kind of like run with it better than I can. Mm -hmm. But I've been um, writing editorials about um, better policy uh, when it comes to performing arts. And I've been talking to city council candidates, uh, nonprofits like, um, the uh, freelancers union and actual people who I most recently talked to the head of the uh, city council of um, the city council head of um, uh, cultural affairs, Mm -hmm. just trying to, what I think would be great is, and in my editorial, I kind of mentioned it. I think a good model for performing arts is the early days of hip hop where uh, this is a folk history. And I don't think it's probably reflective of like what really happened, but this is just what we're told as history was, in the 1970s, a bunch of blackouts happened. So a bunch of kids stole DJ equipment. Mm-hmm. And then later, you had all these properties being abandoned in New York City. So you had a bunch of abandoned lots. And kids would take that stolen equipment, put it, plug it into these abandoned lots. And they had a black par- block parties. And as history goes on, those DJs would get um, MCs who would eventually become rappers. And eventually, that became hip hop. And to me, that's the model of good cultural art creation is it's worker centered. And specifically, you decommodify space, Uh, you make it really easy for people to get access to consistent, um, a large amount of space, and you gift people with um, supplies, and that can let culture happen. And not just like regular culture, but like culture that will explode all around the world. Whereas right now, um, Culture is kind of culture creation in New York is kind of centered on uh, top down Mm -hmm. kind of hubs like give all this money to this nonprofit and they'll commission this play. And that's how we'll create 
culture. Whereas um, I kind of think that what um, I think just the immediate, I don't think everything rests on this. And I think when it comes to looking at policy, what I've learned, like, especially this past election and talking to like city council candidates is that sometimes people will get monomaniacal and say like, if we just get this one policy, everything will be fixed. So I was like, well, no, I'm pretty open-minded, but what seems pretty um, obvious to me is that if you had venues that are uh, a little bit easier to attain and grasp, and yeah. if it was easier just to get stage time and um, uh, that would just make things easier for everybody else. It would just make it easier for community to be built in New York city and it would undermine all these bad actors. So when you have um, rapey McRape comedy club mm-hmm. who only passes, um, you know, Joe, uh, tell it like it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, they're, they would have to compete for eyes and talent and all this other stuff. And also I think ultimately there needs to be a union or some sort of, I don't, I don't know if it's like capital. I've talked to union people earlier this year and, uh, they said that it's like really hard to the point of like, you start to question whether it's worth the uh, bandwidth that you would spend on it, starting a union with comedy right now, just like comedians. Cause it's just so many people are in and out and it's so hard to tell the difference between what part of this is hobby and what part of this mm-hmm. is profession. Uh, one suggestion I did here is a trade association would do similar stuff to unions, but just wouldn't have that collective bargaining, which is very important for unions, but uh, a little bit of power is better than no power. And I think the immediate thing that's in front of me, like a midterm goal is to create a really large survey of performing artists in New York City that would at least let us know what the concerns are, what the needs are of comedians and um, what we can like basically what to ask for. Because like that's what half of what a union is. It's a set of demands is like we want this, this and this. And we're going to use our collective bargaining power to ask for it. And on the absolute last uh, ditch effort, you know, if everything goes wrong, then we'll strike. Like that's what to me Mm -hmm. is a uh, um, structure of a union. And like, you can't strike as comedians because like, yeah, it's just harder to organize that, but at least having a set of demands and knowing what to ask for is a really strong thing to do. And I think um, if you can, I feel like midterm strategy is like if you can nickel and dime things and make it a little bit easier. If you do like nickel bet changes, uh, this sounds like what left Twitter kind of gets annoyed at sometimes, which is um, uh, what do you call that incrementalism? Yeah. But I think if you do, if you make it slightly easier to be a performing artist in New York City, and if you spend small investments that small investments can kind of build to bigger power and kind of just bigger things down the line that benefit people down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got to wrap up in a second, but I, the, 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 um, I think two obstacles that I'm just anticipating. One is this idea that people, this whole idea that like your payment is exposure, right? Which was the yeah. whole thing with with UCB and 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 yeah. so many places, right? Where uh, you go to see people, um, insanely talented comics, 
and you realize they're not getting paid and you're like, how is this sustainable? Right. Yeah. And, um, and so that needs to shift. And then the other thing is just this idea that like, uh, comedians are these like gunslingers and you can't oh yeah you can't be funny and also a good person um is just runs through so much of the stand-up world and i just feel like that needs to the major lead shift it's it's a weird culture i mean i don't know if like this is, we're running out the clock here yeah. but yeah it's such i got caught up i don't think i i would be a little bit of a jerk but like also like of a comedian being a cowboy is such a self-aggrandizing pretentious <laughs> they're a person standing on like what's yeah. the difference between like a one-person show and a stand-up like there's nothing yeah. there's no cowboy hat on a one-person <laughs> show you know what i mean or like yeah. an improv or oh that's not real and it's so much um i mean if I, I, that's a longer rant for yeah. another thing. But well, let's, like, I think let's yeah. do, let's do it. Uh, let's do it again because this is yes. this is really good. So we, we're getting that. into yeah. the the good stuff here. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, John Field, America's Comic on Twitter. Uh, we'll 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 do this again down the line and and try to figure all this out. I appreciate but, it. Thanks yeah, for this being is a on fun the show. show. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Bye. Have a good one, man. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. That was fun. That was fun. All right, let's go out with uh, some Brian Eno. I will talk to you guys next week. Stay tuned for Crime Talk BK. Peace out. from